Hey, it's Erin and Alyssa here to share a special excerpt from Crooked Media Reads' first ever book release, Mobility by Lydia Kiesling. Okay, let me paint the picture for you. The year is 1998 the year I graduated. The Soviet Union is dissolved, the Cold War is over, and Bunny Glenn is a lonely American teenager in Azerbaijan with her foreign service family. Already off to a great start. Sounds like it. So we will follow Bunny from adolescence to middle age as her ambition and desire for comfort lead her to a career in the oil industry. Eventually, she returns to the scene of her youth where slippery figures from the past reappear in an era of political and climate catastrophe. Bunny is described as someone who, quote, believes in climate change, but, quote, also likes to get paid. I mean, points for honesty. At least she's honest. Ah. Yeah, she's not trying to make PSAs saying, no, (laughs) actually... Oil, good. Help. Upside. Help Earth. True to Crooked, mobility is both funny and politically incisive, and Vulture included it on their 14 books we can't wait to read this summer list. Stay tuned for a sneak peek of the audiobook. We hope you enjoy the preview, and if you're interested, you can get mobility right now by heading to crooked.com slash mobility or wherever books are sold. The Holiday Cards Bunny and Mary Ellen were sitting in the living room drinking eggnog and watching a Poirot rerun while Bunny worked on her eBay listings. She had devoted herself to the disposition of some of her grandmother's household effects, upon the sale of which she received a 25% commission as agreed on by her mother and Uncle Warren. Every day, the house lost some Victorian furniture or decorative porcelain item, ferreted out by Bunny's grandmother from an antique barn, Stunning, antique, cranberry glass face, circa 1880s, Bunny typed, hunched over her computer, a knee up by her chin. Collector's item. When she had sold enough of her grandmother's possessions, she was going to buy herself something expensive. What? She had not yet decided. Perfume, maybe. Or get her hair done. The admin girls gave her shit about her wet bun, which she wore every day because she could never wake up in time, and did not care enough to do something different. She was not Rael, with her $200 recurring highlights. When she had finished her listings, Bunny sifted through the avalanche of holiday cards that had found Mary Ellen in Beaumont, forwarded from whatever APO address had last been carefully recorded in wifely notebooks. These cards, with their long printed inserts, were the method by which foreign service families kept one another abreast, even as Facebook was beginning to supplant the need for regular updates. News of postings, promotions, children in college, retirement, or the annual upkeep of property stateside. Bunny skimmed, looking for glimpses of children she had once known. They were at Smith, they were at Michigan, they were at Washington University, they were at Rice and Denison, or at an internship. It was hard to imagine them as adults out in the world, In her mind, they were in the dim hallways of embassy housing, making forts from an empty box. They were in a courtyard, thwapping each other with a length of rubber pipe left by the workmen. Their parents were having drinks on the veranda, and the ice clinked in glasses, while the children frolicked in gardens or piles of rubble. It was peculiar to picture them now, somewhere in America, wheeling a cart through Target, These blossoms, cultivated in other soils. One card showed a middle-aged woman on a lush mountainside, on what a caption identified as the island of Papede. 
Who is this again? Mary Ellen looked over, and Bunny saw her unnerving visage of the last year. Wan face, hair in a braid, not even a French braid. Her highlights grown out, her body in a neat sweatsuit, her small feet tucked up beneath her. Mary Ellen squinted as Bunny held the letter up, creased from where it had been folded into a card showing the Madonna and child wearing tropical flower crowns. Oh, she said, looking back at the TV. That's Sue Whitehead. Who's Sue Whitehead? said Bunny, reading over Sue's list of achievements for the year. We were at breach together, Mary Ellen said, nodding her head toward the wall, where for decades among the family photos, a group photo had hung, Mary Ellen with her breach cohort, Boot Camp for Flight Attendants, 1978. Beautiful young people, mostly white women, one black woman, a handful of white men, one black man. They were off-duty, wearing college sweatshirts, track pants, and sweats. Their legs pressed together, their arms thrown around each other's necks, used to close quarters in the trainee galley, used to going out dancing after they practiced sliding two stories into rafts floating in the swimming pool. Bunny had always been fascinated by the photo. Her mother had the short hair of the period and reminded Bunny of the photos of young Princess Diana. This was Mary Ellen's life before. Sometimes she asked Mary Ellen if she missed it. I miss people listening to me, she once said with amusement. It was like putting on a show, stepping into the plane. Suddenly people paid attention. Bunny found this surprising since Mary Ellen had put the fear of God into her as a child. Mary Ellen spoke again after a few minutes. Sue found out she had some kind of inner ear thing, vertigo. She had to quit. She turned down Poirot. I felt so bad for her, she was devastated. But then she did this travel booking certificate program they had instead, and she ended up managing a high-end guest house in Bora Bora for years, said Mary Ellen. She married an Australian guy out there. Now she's retired. Never had any children, she said, the matter finished. Bunny admired the way that Mary Ellen and Ted knew so many people with very interesting lives. Bunny looked furtively at her mother, whose eyes were back on Poirot. The question of what Mary Ellen should do now was an open one. She could hardly return to her flight attendant career of 30 years prior, although Bunny suggested this periodically. Therapy was out of the question for anyone in the Glenn family, although Bunny had suggested that too, even though it sounded horrible to her. Something for people who could not handle their problems— who could not pick themselves up and apply to jobs and just find something to do and get over themselves. But it seemed to Bunny that Mary Ellen, who had previously been, in her way, the doing-est person Bunny had ever known, had a problem. Bunny knew money was one worry. Mary Ellen had gotten a lawyer, and it was assumed that she would end up with some kind of alimony, not to mention some money from the sale of the house they owned in Washington, D.C., for now, though, she had no income and was paying for expenses and house maintenance on a home equity loan. Although the house Bunny and Mary Ellen currently inhabited had a farcical grandeur to it, Mary Ellen's parents had not been truly rich. The house was the extent of what Warren and Mary Ellen had jointly inherited. When Bunny and Mary Ellen sat together at the dinner table at night, 
Mary Ellen spoke bitterly of nearly three decades of her own lost income. Your father always told his stupid joke that it was harder to get a TWA stewardess job than get into Harvard, she would say. But it was. It was harder than getting into the goddamn State Department back then. They didn't fire you from State for having a fat ass. Bunny, who had absorbed several narratives about divorce from the culture at large, namely the phrase, for the sake of the children, wondered if her father believed he was doing Mary Ellen a favor by making his break when their last child was out of the house. But it seemed to her a cruelty to wait until Mary Ellen had no more activities to arrange, 85% fewer logistics to deal with, and, of course, no job. As the holiday cards demonstrated, now was supposed to be the time for the wives to shine, the women with whom Mary Ellen had labored in the bad old days, or the very end of those days when FSOs were given promotions based on their wives' appearance and demeanor, when they were still expected to call upon and help out the ambassadors' wives, their husbands' bosses' wives, fold napkins and be on hand for events, swiftly remove squalling babies from garden parties they were obligated to give. Babies they had fearfully delivered in foreign hospitals after a few weeks of language training. These were women who moved every one or two or four years, their things in storage units around the world, the children always changing schools, their furniture lost or broken every time it crossed the sea. Now was the time that they were meant to retire on generous federal pensions, start their own businesses, display their textiles, renovate homes they had waited decades to inhabit. Or if their husbands had truly ascended, it was time to shine in another way. At last, with the amount of help that entertaining on a dignitary scale required— not only had Mary Ellen lost her partner, she had lost the future that had been part of the bargain. She was 53 years old, and her whole adult life had been spent on the road. Unlike her brothers, Bunny understood this implicitly, not that she wanted to be the one to fix it. There's no reason Mom can't find something to do, John had said on G-Chat. But Bunny, lamenting her own loss of anticipated future outcomes, could at least feel a faint reverberation of what Mary Ellen must feel. The most unsettling thing for Bunny was seeing some elemental, hidden self of Mary Ellen. Bunny had always sought to escape Mary Ellen's many rules, her rigidity, her martial cheeriness, her never-ending corrections, not only of Bunny, John and Small Ted were also corrected, but especially of Bunny. She knew the searching, scanning look of Mary Ellen on the hunt for an errant hair or chipped nail polish, as well as she knew her own face. And now, Mary Ellen was adrift, weeping, laid low. Only just out of the years of constant fighting over Bunny's grades, Bunny's clothes, what Bunny could and could not do, Bunny had no idea how to comfort her mother, felt both repelled by her and unspeakably sad. She did not want to hear her mother's laments, and in response to them could only muster the kind of language she would use for her girlfriends in college. He doesn't deserve you. He sucks. Stretching her sex in the city education to fit the completely alien frame of her parents. Often, she just ended up yelling at her, and then they would both cry. What should we eat for dinner? 
Bunny said, putting all the cards aside. Mary Ellen had cooked all the meals in Bunny's childhood, apart from the ones Lale had made in Baku. Varied, nutritious meals. And Bunny now occasionally tried to do her part by at least getting stuff at the grocery store. I wish we could go to Strophy, her mom said, a legendary taverna in Athens with a view of the Parthenon. Bunny worried that this would lead to painful reminiscences, but her mom had a thin smile on her face, and she allowed herself to travel with her. I'll learn how to make moussaka, Bunny said. There was a silence. I can get us a pizza? She tried again, and Mary Ellen nodded with resignation.